Hey, hey, we're back in Starbucks and we're going to do this really quickly because my recorder is flashing a low battery sign. Welcome to Haunts Up. This is episode number I don't care now. 32. <laughs> How are you, Peter? I'm good, man. Okay, and so we're going to indulge ourselves and talk about Cynic's very first album, which is Focus, released in 1993. One of my favorite albums of all time. One of your favorite uh, albums of, course, of all dude. time. I mean, come on, that meld of jazz and metal. I know, man. Like, I, I know Atheist was doing it earlier, but, but yeah, it's Cynic's album, which is which will be considered as probably, hey, we should actually do that. Cynic versus Atheist at some point in time. I'm making a mental note. Yeah, I'm making a mental note. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, why are we talking to Cynic, Peter? Because you, stroke of fucking brilliant luck, while I was down working my ass off in Goa. Yes, working my ass off in Goa. I know. You managed <laughs> to meet whom? None other than Jason Gobel, one of the guitarists, the ex-guitarist of Cynic. And of Monstrosity, but... Yeah, and you know, he happened to be in town. Uh, Vishal J. Singh of a Mog Symphony calls me up and says, Hey, I think you should definitely get him on the show. Shout out to Vishal. Thank you so much for connecting us. I only wish I was there with you. Yeah, man. And I think I'm not going to say too much because you have to hear the conversation. It was so great meeting Jason felt like I knew him for years and he was so warm so I'm really glad while he was traveling around in India he took time out again we met at a Starbucks but uh, it was great just talking to him going back in the day you know listening to all the stories of you know the Florida death metal scene and again uh, Cynico in Miami uh, hearing about how Cynic kind of put that album together it's just I, th- I think I'm not going to say anything more yeah, man. I think we're on a really good stroke of luck with Cynic here. We've had Paul Masvidal. We have now have Gobel. Yeah. Now it's time to reach out to Reinhardt. Yep. Yeah, I think that that kind of completes it. <laughs> All right. So here you go, guys. Here's Peter's interview with Jason Gobel. All right. And here we are at our old favorite recording place. Of course, a Starbucks. And uh, I'm sitting at the than none other than Jason Gobel. Well, welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. So I must say, because w- when Vishal first hit me up and told me that you're in town, I was like, whoa, you got to be serious. Uh, so what brings you to India and specifically Bombay itself? Um, actually, I've been traveling Southeast Asia for about 10 months now, uh, just basically taking a hiatus uh, from life, my kids are now uh, grown up, and I had the opportunity to be able to travel. I always wanted to see this part of the world, and um, so I just decided to go for it. And India has always been such an incredible country with with so much history and 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 spirituality, uh, a big thing for me here. Um, so this was definitely a big stop for me. And uh, I luckily, Indian visa can be a little challenging sometimes to get. I got a visa for three months, so I'm, I'm running with it and I'm uh, <laughs> traveling and seeing as much of this beautiful country as I can. And, and how has it been so far? I mean, uh, we talked a bit uh, on the way here, but how's your journey been? It's been a couple of months now? It's been, yeah, uh, I think a little, maybe a week over a couple months now. So uh, it's been absolutely incredible. Wonderful people. I mean, the history here, you know, the U.S. is such a new country. It's just doesn't have all the history. And, and India has so much. 
And India can be a little crazy too, you know. I mean, some <laughs> of the big cities and some of the big cities are super intense. And then when you go to the small towns, it's like there's, there's, you know, it's so small. And but I would say one of the biggest things that has been just such a welcome uh, experience as the people in India. It's, it's probably the the warmest country that I've been to, and just the the nicest people. And it's um, been very welcoming. I, I've felt yeah. absolutely great here and. Uh, very blessed to be and here. You know, for us at Horns Up, it's great to speak to you because uh, both for animation, me, uh, Cynic has been a huge band, and especially focus. I mean, we will dive all into that because when I was doing my research, I realized that was not the only album that a lot of us metalheads have listened to and have enjoyed your music playing in. You've been involved and played a part in so many different bands, but just just to like what, take you back and jog a few years I say a few years but a few decades really. yes yeah uh, 26 what years it, for focus now yeah but just to go a few years before that I mean like for us sitting in India it was very different kind of like you know listening to all these different bands but as somebody who kind of grew up in that area and you grew up in Miami what was it like I mean of course you didn't have any inkling as to what this whole scene would be like but what was it like just growing up there and kind of seeing all these different bands? You know, <clears throat> it's interesting because um, it's not the first time that I've been asked that question. And nobody knew the Florida scene was going to be considered, you know, a classic uh, death metal and a location. And, and even the bands, all the bands that came out of there, I, I can't even tell you why they did. It's, it's crazy, but... Um, it was interesting to, to me, actually, it felt like a small scene. It still felt like, because, um, and, and we were in Miami, so we were still a little outside, you know, your your real section is Tampa and Orlando, which we went and we played there, and, you know, we were in connection with all the bands there, but we were still even considered kind of the outsiders being oh, in wow, Miami. Okay. Yeah, and also... Miami has such a Latin influence. You know, I'm, I'm half Cuban, half American. Uh, Tony Choi is, is Hispanic. Paul is Hispanic. Uh, Reinhardt, of course, is uh, from German descent. But it's a, it was a totally different game. And I think that that's also kind of what maybe set us apart or, or that influence, a Latin influence, maybe helped us sound a little different than uh, some of the, the bands there. But it was amazing, you know. I mean, we could literally just... You know, go hang out with Chuck uh, Chuck Schuldiner and, you know, or go see Morbid Angel or Nocturnus or all these, you know, crazy heavy bands that were coming out of there. And I think that we unknowingly took it for granted. You right. know, that's just, those were just the local bands, you know. And there was, you know, there's still bands that were in Europe and stuff that were like, oh, it'd be so cool to see them. Uh, but I don't even think at that time we realized how much we had in our area. Um, in, in our backyard, you know, it's just right there. So it was, um, it was a good experience. It was really cool uh, to be able to play and, and get to know all those guys. And, and it was just local shows back then, you know. And you know, we go play with Atheist or Malevolent Creation or, you know, any, one of, my any favorite of those guys. Uh, bands, man. Yeah, yeah. Atheist is just an amazing band yeah. for but, sure. But, uh, I mean, what was it like discovering? I mean, of course... Uh, you had uh, with the Tampa being the hotbed in there, but was tape trading? I mean, of course, 
uh, tape trading is far b- uh, before my time. But how important was it back then? Uh, tape oh, trading? it was huge. Um, actually, before the interview, we had talked about you know uh, metal zines and fanzines and yeah. stuff like that. That was it. You know, I mean, you. I remember, you know, you would mail order an actual fanzine, and you would look through, and you'd, you know, send your little uh, cashier's check or sometimes cash or whatever, and you'd mail it off and wait for a demo. And sometimes it would take a couple months, you know, before you'd get it. And then from there, you would trade with your friends, and um, it was all underground back then. And that was the only way to get the music. It just wasn't. It, it wasn't in a record store, which is another thing that doesn't. Really I know it's exist. a bit of a stretch, but uh, could you like jog your memory and tell me a couple of bands that really stood out for you uh, that you picked up a demo from, uh, perhaps? Jeez. <laughs> Gosh, that's um, well. Actually, funny, funny. Uh, Mishuga. Wow. Mishuga before they really sounded like so Mishuga as we Meshuggah. as we know it when they were more like a thrash band, yeah. you know. And um, that would be one that was interesting that just stands out. Um, gosh, that's really pushing my old memory there. <laughs> um, was uh, what about the Bay Area thrash? Did you kind of? Like get those uh, demos. I know Metallica uh, did a bunch. Yeah, of Yeah, Metallica possessed. Oh yeah, possessed. You know, yeah. possessed was definitely uh, was one that uh, we definitely uh, dug and all that. And and yeah, it's the same thing. It was, I guess, some of the Bay Area bands you could find a little easier because at least it was in the states. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was some of the European bands that were harder to to get and uh, Wehrmacht or, um, geez, there was just some. Uh, yeah, it was just really hard to get, and it, even remembering all the names is insane. But <laughs> I do remember just looking through the, the the zines, and you know, just actually writing a little letter, dude, send me the demo. Here's the five bucks, you know, <laughs> and you mail it off, and, and you forget about it, and then a few months later, you're like, oh my god, I got a demo in the you know in the mail, and um, it was a totally different game. So if you wanted to listen to anything, you know, extreme. You really had to work for it back in the day. You really had to, to search for it and find it. And um, and again, for us, we were, uh, I guess, more fortunate because you did have bands like Morbid and, you know, just uh, the bigger bands or, or some of the, the heavier bands that were closer to us. But anything else, you really had to search for it and, and yeah. trade. But, but just, again, moving and being specific to Miami, um, while you were talking that, you know, you had uh, that you had atheists and stuff, who are the bigger bands that y'all were aspiring to be like as musicians or what uh, as a reference point who was the bands that kind of made it for you in the metal scene in the metal scene yeah in the metal scene gosh you know i went through all kinds of stuff even some of the uh i remember i used to love corrosion of conformity um, crumb suckers, crumb suckers, uh, and they were kind of like a thrash core back then. And we're going, you know, way back. Yeah. Um, of course, death, um, atheist. Although we came up um, a little behind them time-wise, was a big influence for us. Those guys because they were also technical and yeah. and everything like that. Um, gosh, you know, um, and. I would, I, you know, I would say, yeah, some of some of those. Gosh, there's so many bands, I can't even <laughs> put a put a pin on it. I mean, and we listened to everything because back then, uh, Morbid Angel was huge, and um, 
Yeah, I would say they all influenced influenced us, you know, because it was just back then you're hungry, man. You you didn't get it as much. It wasn't available. You really had to work for it. So anything you could get your hands on, you just really listen to and absorb, you know? Yeah. Tell, tell me about now. I, I know we're going to focus on one band primarily. Uh, sorry for using that term, but that's the best. Oh, term yeah. That no, came not at there. all. It was unintentional. All. But uh, how did you, like, kind of meet? Because... I mean, I've read the story, but I want to hear it. And if you can kind of, if I can transport you back in time where you first met uh, Paul and Sean, and how did you kind of form? Was Cynic already a band before you joined? If you could just yes, they, they weren't around too long. Um, it was Paul, Sean, Mark Vanner from um, um, Monstrosity, who I also played with in, on Monstrosity, okay. and a gentleman named Jack Kelly was the singer, right. and that was the the band. And I they did one demo, and the way that we actually met. So so me, I was already leaning towards heavy music. I was already playing heavy stuff, but I didn't know many people. I didn't know many people in the scene that were actually playing it. And my brother was a bass player. And he was playing in more of the rock metal uh, scene. But back in the day in Miami, you would have actual um, um, keg parties. All right. So they'd just find a place to play, even sometimes an open field, set up a stage, put a few bands, open up a couple kegs, and people would come out and play. So you'd always go and see whatever local bands. That's when pe- local music was still being played live, you know, and... So my brother was actually playing a show. And so I went out to support my brother. It was this um, uh, keg party somewhere. I don't even remember where. And Cynic actually opened up for my brother's band. Oh, wow. So you watched Cynic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They actually opened, not opened up for my brother's band, but they were just slotted before uh, before his band. So I remember watching them and going, wow, I didn't even know. There were other guys playing this type of music around here. I didn't know of any other, you know, uh, heavy bands. And what was their sound around that time, if I may ask? Actually, if you if you listen to the um, um, the album that was just released with all the demos, oh yeah, the, it's or, the first yeah. few songs. That was what they were playing, like Dwellers of the mm-hmm. Threshold and and um, and songs like that. That was their first demo, and it was just they only played a small slot, maybe 20, 30 minutes. Um, and played a, the few songs, but for me it was just awesome that someone else was. I, I was sick of the glam metal rock stuff <laughs> oh, that was yeah. going on. The big hair. <laughs> my brother was doing it, and I was like, "Screw this <laughs> stuff, man!" And so they played, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool." I actually, uh, kind of dug what they were doing. Well, my brother, as he's getting up on stage, he goes over to Paul and Sean and goes, "He goes, wow, man. He goes, you guys uh, play that heavy stuff." He goes. Um, he goes, are you guys looking for another guitarist because my little brother is playing that pissed off shit also, you know, is what he kind of said to him. And they said, yeah, actually, we are looking for another guitar player. So after my brother played, he actually introduced me to, it was Paul and Sean, uh, who I ended up talking to. So from there, we, we talked and we had set up a, um, a meeting at the warehouse, at, at their warehouse. And I came out. And I played um, played for them, and then we jammed a little bit, and I played some of um, some of my actual ideas. And I guess there was another guitarist that they were looking at at the time, 
um, and I ended up getting the slot. And I think it was it was the writing. I, that's one thing that was always my specialty, or, or my my passion was writing music. So right. I had actually thrown out a couple rhythms, and I just remember them looking and, and kind of going, "Oh wow, you know, like they they liked what I was writing." Um, and I think we had a similar style. You know, obviously it it worked. So. Um, the next day they called me up and they said hey you know you got the, the spot and from there uh, we um, that, that was the beginning of the end I guess you know how, how we'd say yeah and, and you know of course like when you go through the cynic website and you read the stories about there was a lot that happened I mean from the time you you're talking about in the demos uh, did you all record any demos after you joined oh yeah yeah um, Reflections of a Dying World, uh, ev everything after that. I think it was Reflections of the Dying World, wasn't it? A 1990 um, demo and then um, a Roadrunner release. I can't even remember, but it sh I think it was three demos that we did. And what, what was it like? like wh and who, where were these being recorded? Was it at Morris Sound already? Um, so interesting. Um, um, the... Let me see. Thresholds of a Dying World was we did. We actually went in a studio and we uh, recorded. Um, the next demo, the next demo we did, and that's the one I think that has pleading for preservation. Again, man, gosh, it's so long ago. We actually recorded ourselves. We actually took um, multi-track production techniques. By then, we actually entered into college. We took multi-track production techniques, and one of the final uh, tests was you had to record a song. Oh yeah, okay. and we're like, bro, let's let's record a demo. So, yeah. uh, me, Paul, and Sean, we each did a different song for our, uh, your class for our final. <laughs> so that was one of the demos, and then um, the other one was paid for by Roadrunner, and that was on. They wanted to hear kind of what we were going to do for the album and kind of a contingent on getting the album deal. And that we did at more sound with Scott Burns. Okay, and I think by then, word had really spread about uh, Cynic. By then, I mean, yeah, and, everyone. And, yeah, and that was the problem. We couldn't get signed uh, because we were too technical, um, and you know, not catchy enough. We heard all the the, the negative things about our, our music, but there was a hype. So so what had happened? Um, and I may be regurgitating the same story, but what had happened is. Uh, we were having a hard time getting signed, but we were getting a fan base. And but since we couldn't get signed, uh, that's when the opportunity came up for um, Paul and Sean to play with Death, uh, yeah. Tony with Atheist and Pestilence, and me with Monstrosity. So we actually sat down and we said, "Listen, we're not getting signed. No one, no one wants to deal with us. We're too technical. So let's take this opportunity. Let's go play on these other albums, specifically to try to get." Um, more hype going for us so we can get signed so it was known that we were going to do this but then the main uh, intent was to come back to Cynic so we can ultimately get a deal and do do our music right. and I mean it's a great way you kind of brought up about your involvement in monstrosity because I was like whoa I had no idea about it and just tell me about it what was it like because I mean it, it's strange we're talking about monstrosity when earlier this year they just put out an album. So yeah. they're still going strong. And like, yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing about uh, some of these bands that it's great to hear these stories from. 
people who have actually been there in the early days and stuff. What is it like? Okay, well, so the, the monstrosity tie, um, so Mark Van Erp was, was in Cynic. Yeah. You know, he was, he was um, the first bass player. So we were friends, you know, we were, we were great friends and all that. And, and long story short, when he ended up leaving the band, um, Lee Harrison was already in the scene and, and playing around. So they ended up joining and uh, were jamming and playing. And then eventually, I, I, I can't speak for their formation, but eventually Monstrosity got formed. And, um, you know, props to Lee Harrison. The guy is, is as hardcore as it gets. He is death metal to the core. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Monstrosity ever broke up. I think they've always stayed true yeah. and they're always going for it. And, and yes, they just re uh, recently released, I heard. So but um, so at the time, they had finally gotten their first deal and they had needed another guitarist. I don't remember what the story is, uh, why, um, if they had one and, and it didn't work out. But long story short, um, Paul and Sean had just gotten the offer to play with Death, and then Tony, I'm not sure if it was Atheist or if it was Pestilence, they had gotten the offer, so they needed a guitarist, and uh, Lee and Mark actually had come up to me, and they're like, bro, we need a, another guitarist, and I know those guys are playing, you know, you want to play with us? And I was like, hell yeah, man, <laughs> let's do it, you know, and um, and again, they're, they're just great guys, and so... They had most of the album uh, finished. I, I contributed a few rhythms uh, here and there uh, to help them finish, and then my solos and all that. But they just needed someone. It was an opportunity for them to have someone play with them. It was an opportunity for me to play on, a, on an album. Uh, and I dug what they were doing. Um, Corpse Grinder was just yeah. <laughs> just vicious and violent, as always. And, and, and they're all great guys, so... Uh, and and I, I think this is this is where the scene kind of had no idea that Corpse Grinder would be or become the Corpse Grinder that he is today. No one, yeah, no one. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone at that point. Uh, so, so I remember the first time I saw Corpse Grinder. If I remember correctly, he's originally from Maryland, and he had come down to the Florida scene, and I think he came down specifically to to get into the music. So I'm sitting there at a show one day. And I'm near the pit, and right on the outskirts of the pit, I hear someone belting out the lyrics. I forgot who was playing, belting out the lyrics, and it was heavier than whoever was playing. And I look over, and it's Corpse, and he's there just, I mean, headbanging, head spinning, and screaming. And, bro, his neck was already there, you know? He just had that, you know, you don't forget it when you see it, you know? Um, and that's the first time I had seen him. And then, you know, we ended up, just you're in the scene, you end up meeting, and he's, he's actually as brutal as he sounds. He is actually just a sweetheart of a guy. Oh, yeah. He's an absolute just great guy and, and just super, super nice guy. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anyone realized what he, I mean, he's just, he's like an icon of the, of yeah. the scene now and, and everything. I mean, come on, they, they made a... A cartoon character based absolutely, on absolutely man yeah absolutely <laughs> and it, it looks <laughs> somewhat like him too and and you know the whole cannibal thing is is yeah, in, yeah. insane um but so tell me about imperial doom because like you know it's, it, if you look at it also uh from monstrosity right it's one of those albums where it's kind of overlooked in a way um of course the older generation will kind of remember it and 
I would attribute it probably with the people who spent more time with it, right? Um, what was it like in terms of, uh, of course, I'm sure at that time, again, no one had any idea monstrosity so many years later would still be going releasing music and stuff like that. Right. But what is it like recording at that time with the band? You know, and again, uh, I, I think, you know, we were all trying to, to make our way in the scene. You know, I think that's a given. Um, but I, I don't think that anyone had any idea that the Florida scene, again, was going to be what it is today or considered just such a, a classic what it is today. But um, recording with them and hanging out with them is awesome. I mean, they're just all great guys. John Rubin uh, is just, he's just another sweetheart of a guy. And um, so it was a great experience. You know, it's funny, the, the, the Cynic Focus album, the recording of it was definitely... Uh, more intense and there was you know it was, it was a lot more hard times but uh, recording with monstrosity was was a pleasure man everybody was there everybody was a hundred percent everybody was into it the times in the studio everything everything was good energy and good vibes and um, and we were just excited to be able to do an album man and be able to do it was their first album it was my first album you know what I mean um, so it was just, uh, it was a surreal experience, I think, for us in a lot of ways. You just don't believe it's happening when it's yeah. happening, and you have no idea what it's going to be. And I just realized, because with all the stories you've told me so far, you can actually draw like a six degrees of separation. I think it would be like three degrees of separation with most of these bands, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's... Um it's it's interesting. I mean, because it's all the same, but it's also different. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's um, yeah. That's I guess that's the best I could could describe. But, but uh, did, did you post that uh, play the album live? Did you tour with uh, Monstrosity? No, no, okay. because um, by the time we had finished, the the cynic opportunity came up, and okay. I went that way. I played one show with them, a Milwaukee Metal Fest. Oh wow! Uh, I've yeah. heard a lot about yeah, this. Yeah, that was uh, a big event back then. You know, yeah. in those days, and so I, I did get to play one show with them in Milwaukee. Do you uh, which was, uh, remember which yeah. are the bands playing? Huh? Which other bands performed? I don't remember which other bands were playing, to be honest with you. Um, I No, I, I don't remember, man. It was so long ago. I do remember playing and playing with them right. uh, and doing the whole scene. And, and it, was, it was great. It was intense, you know, because, well, I mean, Monstrosity... I'd say the biggest challenge I had with them was the speed, man. Oh, yeah. They fly, bro. <laughs> they fly. Even even when I uh, sorry when I decided to uh, when when I took the offer graciously, of course, uh, when I took the offer to play with them and I went to rehearsal the first time, um, I remember my forearms were on fire, man, <laughs> after uh, playing with them just because of the the speed that they play with and the intensity. So then you go live. And you've got the live energy, and it's even faster, man, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> it was definitely uh, probably one of the more intense shows that I got to play with them, you know? And yeah. it's just pure um, pure death metal, which is the only real, I guess you'd say, the pure death metal album that I did. Um, so it was just even more intense, you know? Yeah. It's definitely more intense and a, and a great experience to be up there with those guys. Are I wish I could have played more with them. All right. All right. It's great to, to know. Uh, you brought up uh, why you couldn't play further on with uh, Monstrosity because of Cynic coming back again. And then, of course, there's, you know, and what I want to get is a different picture because there's a lot talked about how 
focus probably would have never happened, right? With uh, you know uh, Paul and uh, Sean having their whole thing with their equipment being uh, kept apart. Sorry, let me take that. Again. There's a whole story about how focus never happened, where you know Paul and Sean had their equipment kept in Germany. Uh, I believe there was a f the hurricane happened yeah. in Florida and stuff like that. Uh, take me back to that time because at this point, from what you've told me, Cynic has been through a lot. I mean, you you guys have kind of regrouped in there. What is the energy in the band at that time? Once you guys, because I'm sure the songs had been written for a while, right? Well, <clears throat> that's uh, not really. Um, so, yeah, they had their challenges with their equipment being held back, which which delayed um, delayed the recording. But what really ended up delaying it was the hurricane, because at least when they were back, we could still play, and we could, yeah. it wasn't like they didn't have a guitar or, or you know uh, we couldn't do it with the drum set over there. So we could still work on the music, but um, we actually. Um, used to rehearse in my house uh, for a while. I had like a, a little insulated shed that we had set up like a little studio and we had played back there and um, and then we got our warehouse space and we actually invested and, and it was a nice warehouse space and then the hurricane hit and the hurricane um, you know knocked practically the door halfway off of the warehouse and there was some water damage in there and then I actually lost my house in the hurricane a, a oh third of the roof was ripped off and so everything got damaged um, the hurricane turned so I lived further south than anybody so it turned and it hit the south so Paul and Sean's house everybody got damaged but it was structurally sound they didn't get damaged to their equipment um, but my house was destroyed. I even remember um, the first thing I did after the hurricane was I ran to my equipment and I knew the amps were gone, but it was the guitars that I wanted to save and take them out and dry them out and all that. And then Paul and Sean eventually, because the roads were all blocked, they made it out to my house and I gave them everything I could salvage and said, dude, take it to your dry house. And you know, uh, yeah. they took care of my guitars and all that. But so we had lost um, warehouse space we had lost equipment in the process and then you had to it wasn't like we were you know um, I, I just didn't have money to go buy new equipment and new amps and all that luckily my family had home insurance but you had to wait for that process to come through to get the money and then get the equipment so it just really delayed the whole process of the album getting recorded and that's where a lot of the change had come through that you would hear from our last demo to the Focus album yeah. was not only did um, did we have time, and in that time that natural transition happened with us because at that point we were listening to a lot of different styles of music besides uh, death metal or, or speed metal. Um, so, and then also the opportunity when you get the insurance money and you're like, uh, man, I can get some new equipment. And then by that time, we also knew a couple music stores and and you know we had been in the scene for a while so they gave us like the inside deals and that's when i ended up you know get, getting the guitar synth and you know things just started to really uh expand so that also affected the the end result of focus um so it's interesting it almost it could have never happened but that delay actually kind of made it what it is yeah, and you can turn a really tough situation into a 
positive into right? a positive situation yeah, yeah and, absolutely and so now that you're talking about this whole space how did the whole sound what what is the kind of influences or the inspirations that kind of brought in because like when i'm even 25 years or so year later listening to the album right i still can't believe what was happening back then or how did it, it come all about so if you could just shed some light on that I guess, and um, well, I mean, you 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 know where all the metal and all the heavy influence came from, but I guess also coming from Miami, the Latin music and and the whole scene. Um, so that was also an influence. Just being open is a very international city to other styles, and we were very hard on each other. We we weren't competitive with other bands. We're always open and friendly with other bands, but with each other as members, we were very um, not competitive, but we really pushed each other, you right. know, to push our limits musically. And we ended up not, not getting bored, but we ended up feeling like, man, we've done most of what we could do with metal. And, and so we started really listening to other styles of music. And that's when jazz came in. That's when... Um, I mean, I remember listening to like Chick Corea, Inside Out was like mind-blowing for us, and Mahavishnu Orchestra was oh, a yeah. huge influence for us. Um, Alan Holtzworth was a big influence. Uh, for me, guitar-wise, Wes Montgomery was, uh, solo-wise, was a big influence. So uh, we just started really listening to other styles of music, and we were never, we never considered ourselves like we have to be death metal or we have to be we're just this is what we wanted to play this is what we are playing and so as these other influences came in uh it started to reflect in our music and as we started you know we actually when i said we went in and did our uh, our recordings you know we were it, you had choice in college classical or jazz you know and we went for jazz and what we were really looking for and what i really gained for example is a lot of different voicings and how to really change the voicings in your chords and everything like that so learning standards and and uh and music like that really changed our perspective on how to to write and and chords to use and you just take the jazz chords and you put the distortion up you know and that's some <laughs> of the stuff that was going on uh in focus so i think it was just a, um like a, like you've heard i'm sure before a natural evolution for us and it was just we weren't getting enough dynamic uh, in the, the death metal because if you're just you know uh, playing heavy all the way through you don't get you don't get the you know or like the fast and slow dynamic you know the push and pull and you get that with the mellower uh, parts which makes the heavier parts that much more intense you know so uh, we really just started to experiment with that and listening to players like you know like Holdsworth or uh, I, I remember Vinny Caliuta and uh, Dave Weckl were big, you know, with uh, uh, Reinert and, um, and and down the line, of course, when uh, like Malone joined us, Jaco Pastorius and, you know, it's just all these other influences that have come in. And since we weren't trying to be a death metal band, we were just trying to play whatever we want. Our goal was to just release what we wanted to play, man. And, and that was the problems we had with the record companies is they... They wanted to label us as a death metal band or as a speed metal thrash, whatever you want to call us. And we're like, we just want to play what we want to play. We don't want to conform to being, you know, five rhythms and repeat a, a verse and a chorus. We just wanted to do what we wanted to do and put whatever styles of music in it as we wanted to. So um, 
it just kind of evolved that way, you know. And then when we got synths and we got some of the other sounds, it was just like a, a little bag of goodies to play with, you know. <laughs> and you just started experimenting and uh, from there the vocals went, you know. And, you know, because we also with the vocals, we noticed that if we have the, the soft music or the, you know, clean guitars and then the heavy and all that, then we really couldn't just do all growls, you know. And so that's where the computer side kind of came in with yeah. Paul and... Um, so, and I think that again, being in Miami, that's what kind of separated us from a lot of the rest of the death metal scene. We didn't have that pure death metal influence around us. We had a multitude of different styles of music around us and mm. it just kind of came out that way. Right. That, that makes, a I, I hope that, yeah, I oh, hope yeah. that it seems like it's a, a yeah. fair answer. And, there. And, and I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the influence of uh, Roadrunner, because at, at one point, if you look at it in when you look back, Roadrunner had all the big death metal acts, right? And then you you had that entire phase. And then I think it was probably, if you say, the mid-90s, there were barely any left. So what was the influence and why did you, uh, as, a la as a band, choose uh, Roadrunner? Did you go with them? We went with Roadrunner because they're the only label that would sign us. <laughs> That's how it is. So, so um, I mean, we shopped with many labels. Um, we, 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 jeez, uh, I mean, we'd even go to like the, we drove up to like the New York Music Seminar and stood outside and gave demos out to people. And I mean, we were just like desperate and, and we played every show and did every, played with every band and we didn't care what style of music you guys were, we'd play with you and, um, so uh, again, the whole Roadrunner thing was uh, was the hype. You know, we couldn't get signed, and then the hype of us playing with the other bands um, that we've already already mentioned, uh, we started to get a hype and a following with some fans. And Monty Connor uh, was the A and R rep that ended up signing us. And not to say anything about Monty, I mean, his job is to see a band that's going to turn dollars for them you know yeah. that's an a and r rep that's what they're supposed to do what's going to sell and all that so he saw the hype he saw that there was potential he heard our demos which wasn't necessarily the album that was another surprise when that came out to them um so he kind of took a leap with us and said, okay, I'm going to sign you. And, and then he would tell us flat out, I don't think you guys are sellable. I don't think you're catchy. You know, I really don't think that you're not someone I would normally sign. Um, so they ended up giving us a deal. And I remember we got the contract and you go to a music, uh, you know, entertainment lawyer. And of course you try to negotiate. So we took it there. We had them, you know, readjust a few things and we took it back to Roadrunner and we gave it to them. And they just laughed. I mean, almost like rolled back on their belly and on their back and laughed holding their belly, if you know what I mean. And said, no, no, no. You know, said to one of the people there, reprint the, the, the original contract. They gave it back to us and they said, this is it. There's no negotiation. We're not doing anything else, you know. And so it was the only deal we could get. Right. And so we, uh, we, we took it. It was, it was do or die at that point, you know. Because really, at that point, if we didn't do it, it would never, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot that's been written about or there's a lot of stories about post the release of the album and, you know, eventually where Cine kind of went uh, on a break a long extended break but I want to fast forward quickly and especially since you kind of moved out uh, of music uh, 
what was it like? I mean, because I was reading uh, while doing research some of the things where uh, when Cynic regrouped post the 10 year uh, reissue uh, yeah. uh, that Roadrunner did of the album, and there was a sudden interest. Why did you choose not to join the band then? Uh, very simple. So, so when they decided to do the, the reissue and then the reunion tour had come up, at that time, um, I had uh, um, I, I, I was married at the time. I had two kids. I had one in like elementary, younger elementary school. One in high school. Uh, had a mortgage. You know, I mean, I, I basically I stopped playing professionally. I was still playing music, um, but I played it for myself at home. Pro Tools, all that. And um, I had a normal job. I had a normal life with the, my family. So when it came back up, I, I get a call from Paul and Sean. They're like, hey, you know, they're going to reissue the album. Awesome, man. We're thinking about a reunion tour. Can you do it? And I'm like, I'm open. But are we going to make any money this time? Because we, we really never made any money off Focus. And I said, because I can't just leave my family and... You know, I still have bills to pay. I actually have a life now, so... And there was no guarantee of it. Um, at that time, you know, Paul and Sean were in a different uh, situation. They weren't necessarily, you know, in a relationship or kids or anything like that. So it was a lot easier to do it for them. But for me, I, I had family ties and all that. And so I was open to do it. And I actually, it would have been really cool. I had talked to him and I'm like, oh, that'd be awesome to, to go and and play and tour. I mean, come on, who doesn't want to do that? And who doesn't want to go play shows and all that? But it just wasn't financially sound and wasn't financially set. And I'm actually glad I didn't because it wasn't, um, it wasn't like they made enough, you know, I would have probably lost my house and, you know, my, you know, uh, everything that I had to do it. So uh, it, it wasn't that I didn't want to. It just, just wasn't possible. But I'm, I'm going I'm to, like, do two parts of this question one was after you know the whole reaction to focus when it came out initially and uh, the touring I've read a lot about it where you guys were touring with uh, Cannibal Corpse and stuff like that to then 10 years later the reissue where you had a new generation of metalheads so what was your reaction to first a reissue of the album and now that it's been another 10 years since then People are still discovering the album on a regular basis. I mean, this becomes basically like your Metal 101 or Tech Metal 101. So what do you think about it? Like, what was your initial reaction 10 years ago and even till today, if you could say? Um, well, well, it, it never took off when we first did it. I think, you know, you say like the Tech 101. I think uh, a lot of people said it was kind of ahead of its time, the yeah. Focus album. and. Um, and so I guess in a sense it, it was. So when it was reissued and then they, they did the touring and support, that's when I really started to see people starting to actually catch on to focus, you know. And I talked to a lot of the, the people that appreciated fans or whatever you want to call it. And a lot of them didn't pick up on the album until almost early 2000s and, you know, or until it was uh, re-released. So that was very interesting to, for me to see. 
And actually, before the interview, like uh, we had talked before, it still blows my mind that I'm sitting here with you right now doing this interview (laughs) and that people are still interested and still picking up the album because it's been 26 years since it's been released now. So um, uh, so it's a bittersweet thing. It's bittersweet because, you know, all I wanted to do was be a, a musician, was to... Uh, you know, spend my whole life being a musician, and I would have loved for Cynic to just continue on, and it never would have stopped. Um, so that just wasn't meant to be, and that's kind of the bitter, uh, I guess, side of it. The sweet side of it is, it's an absolute honor for me, and a compliment, and I'm very humbled. That it's still, I, I still have a hard time getting my head around it that the album has finally done so well, or has taken on such recognition, and we've gotten really been given a lot of credit as um, kind of kind of being one of the starters of the tech metal scene and um, I was talking to Vishal you know and he was telling me some of the bands that really had a lot of influence or, or credit us for a lot of influence and these are great players and great I mean, musicians there's, there's uh, a band named Vale of Maya <laughs> yes exactly I think that tells you that, a lot that uh, says influence. a bit and that's I mean so so for me that's a huge honor you know yeah. it's a huge honor and and um it's almost better than if it would have worked out and then faded out into obscurity back in the the early 90s you know what i mean so uh it's funny like we never made much money um but i tell people that i'm getting paid now for it and just in opportunities like this to do an interview with you or uh, meeting people that appreciate my music is absolutely so heartwarming especially when it was done so long ago and that it's actually still an album that stands strong and you see so many albums that are you know they're hot and then they're not you know what i mean and so um so yeah yeah i guess that's the best way i could i could describe it is that um i guess everything works out in the best for the end and i'm I'm happy that it's become such a a strong album and uh kind of considered a you know a a classic or you know something like that so i mean i mean it's it's, it's the same way, like you said, for me, it's also an honor to kind of speak to you and just revisit these old stories. Uh, Absolutely. And stuff like that. Absolutely. But, uh, just to kind of wrap up, uh, would now that we've talked so much and, you know, in our previous interview with Paul, he's talked about uh, Cynic coming back soon. Uh, would you be open to an opportunity uh, like you were earlier to probably just play a one-off show if not uh, a tour with uh, Cynic? So I don't think it's possible. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's possible. Even even if I was open to do it, uh, Reinert and Paul, they, um, they definitely are not going to work together again. And, and that I've, I've definitely uh, talked to, talk to them and it's something that's not going to happen. And and when you're in a band for as long as they were, and you're together, it's like it's like uh, being in a marriage, and you know, and it's almost like um, there's a lot of baggage that gets created. And and not to bring up anything negative with um, uh, with the cynic or the the Sean and Paul thing, but it would almost be asking someone that has been married for a long time, would you just get married for another month? And you know, you know what I mean? So, so I don't think that it's possible now on the personal level with, uh, with me, to be honest, the, the direction that cynic has gone since focus is in a, in a different direction that I would have gone. And that was also one of the reasons because I, we, we did talk after the reunion and did talk about redoing 
um, uh, me actually being part of uh, some of the newer, or yeah. the, or I, I mean, guess actually, that's uh, a great the, thing. Would would you have been? Uh, were you given an option to be part of Trace Tenere? Because that, uh, that we talked about it. Oh, yeah, okay. we did talk about it, and and it was um, it was something that we were discussing, but this the direction uh, wasn't for me because for me, not you, you again. Like we had spoke before the interview, also you're in a different place 10 years later, but uh, still the direction that they want to go, I still want to attain a little bit more of the heavy edge and, and right. that was kind of a, and so, and they didn't want to do the heavy vocals as, and stuff like that as much. And so it just really wasn't, it didn't feel organic for me and all that. So uh, I opted not to do it. And, and, and it wasn't like they're in any way, you know, begging me to do it. It was just we talked about it. And I said, you know, I don't think it's for me. So uh, just because it went in a different direction that I wasn't, uh, I guess, comfortable with. Okay. Yeah, I would have thought it would have been a different style of band, you know. No, and, and, and again, and, and then that that's one of the things. I mean, um, you, you have a huge divide among uh, cynic fans with, again, because I look at it as focused and traced in air. There is, but anything post trace and airs is completely is, is, in the yeah. Completely. And that was that's the direction that it was already going. I saw that coming. Okay. I saw that coming. Even with traced and air, I saw that kind of coming in that direction. And so that's that's kind of the reason that I wasn't interested in uh, in going down that route. And and I, I you know it, cynic was a hard band. You know, so you take, if you look look at the players in the band, if you look at the, the level of musicianship that we held ourselves to, we were pretty rough on each other. And we yeah. had, it wasn't like, um, it's funny, I've talked to people and they thought, oh, we're sitting there very scholarly and, you know, let's do this and do that. No, we would, we would pretty much go to band practice, lace up the gloves and go into the middle of the stage and box it out and figure out, you know, what we were going to do, you know. So, um um, it was a hard album to record because it was almost like it's all A-type personality people. You know, we all wanted to get our stuff and you all wanted to do things a certain way. And it really worked out for focus. But um, I think it would have been really hard to, to repeat, you know, and still now that the directions have gone even further across, you know, <laughs> and now we're all a little older, uh, you know, I think it would be even a little bit more violent, if anything, you know, so... Um, I just thought it was best that we uh, that I, that I stay out of it. You know what I mean. Right. So, um, I, I know you touched a little bit about it earlier, so I'm gonna probe a bit more. You said that you stopped doing music professionally, but still playing. Um, what's the kind of music you listen to nowadays or play also? Well, so I had stopped for so I stopped professionally, and I played for many years. Played for many years, and then I stopped playing. I actually put the guitar down. I mean, never a hundred percent. I always have a guitar around, and, but I would pick it up and play it a couple times here or there. And um, what had happened to me was I had just gotten really frustrated with the whole music industry, and and just it, it, the industry can steal the creativeness out of the artists, you know. Um, so in a sense, I was a little bitter with that, and so I played for myself, and um, but I ended up putting the guitar down and ended up I've always been into photography and I, I had a photography business for a little while in Portland and so I kind of focused on that and I kind of put the music down and and stopped um, as far as listening to music um, you know to me I, it, there's any style of music there's good bands and there's not so good bands you know and um, I've always been 
open to all styles of music. So, um, so I, I still really listen to, to anything and, and everything. To be honest, I've been out of the metal scene. Like you, I think you had mentioned a band, and I'm like, I haven't heard that name yet. And you know, so I've really been out of the metal scene. Uh, still listen to some jazz. Still listen to a lot of the classic um, um, music and jazz. But I, I still love old Motown, and you know, still. Um, music like that but even some of the the pop stuff and my son is into some of the rap stuff and there's a couple guys you know jake cole and you know i think they're really cool and um so music is music to me i'm just open and listen to anything that i find good um we enjoy i i enjoy all different uh styles we actually got the chance to go see the mohan brothers here in uh in india i love classic Class, in Indian classical music also and this has been another thing that we've been trying to see while we're here and all that but um, so yeah I can't say there's any style that I listen to and, and um, why, why contain myself or to, to anything when there's <laughs> such good music out there yeah. in the world uh, just to kind of wrap up what's next for you I mean uh, both if I could ask personally as well as uh, musically would, what, what would it take to kind of get you to pick up the guitar again or play something? Uh, this trip. This trip is what it took. You know, um, I had done the, the, the family thing. Uh, like I said, I was married. I'm, I'm divorced now. My kids are adults now. And I, uh, I went on this trip and this was kind of a... Kind of a spiritual journey, you know, just try, kind of a reconnection with myself journey. Right. And this was not meant to be a musical uh, trip. And so I started uh, traveling around Southeast Asia and I would just put it out on social media. And people started reaching out to me. My music came back. You know, there's, there's just uh, a lot of cynic and, of course, you know, Gordian and monstrosity. And a lot of people started contacting me. Um, so this trip has really had a lot of music in it and, and a lot of even this interview like with you a lot of these things had come up so i think that um it, it kind of sparked my fire again you know so i'm actually itching to get back and start playing again and uh sean reiner and i have talked actually for a couple years about doing a project and it just hasn't been able to kind of work out um, so I actually spoke with them just a couple days ago and I said, you know, I'm coming back to the States and, you know, I've just been really sparked to play again. You know, I, I've been, I've met some incredible musicians. Now, let me put this out there. I'm not stuck on any style. I don't want to get in a band. I don't want to get on a label. I don't want to get stuck in one style. What I would really love to do is collaborate with, there's some great musicians that I've met and do collaborations of different styles of music and, um, and just just actually enjoy music. I don't need music to, to pay my bills anymore. Um, so that pressure isn't there. So it's really for the love of music again. Uh, so like I said, I've met some great people that I've been in, that I've talked to and I'm like, yeah, let's 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 talk about collaborating. Let me get back to the States. Let me warm my fingers up again and let me get back on the on the guitar and uh, and get a little um, get some of the feel back. Um, and the first one that I'll probably do, or at least the first one that I was talking about, is with, with Sean Reiner. We had uh, talked for a while about doing it, so I told him, you know what, when I come back to the States, it's actually cheaper to fly through California and then go to Miami. So I'm going to stop by and I'm going to see you, and we're going to, uh, of course, 
uh, it'd be just the beginning stage, but we're going to talk about it and we're going to see what we can uh, put together and kind of maybe set some ground rules of what I, what we want to okay. do. But, um, you know, um, That's a start. God willing, universe willing, you know, uh, I'll be back and I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to put out. I hope that it still holds up to the fans' expectations of me. Um, but I'm going to do it for, for myself, for the love of music, for the passion of music. And I think that's the most sincere, organic way to play. So hopefully we'll have some good stuff coming out in the, awesome. in the awesome. near future. I really look forward to it. How, how can people uh, follow you on this journey of yours? What's the best way people can do? I guess standard social media, you know, Facebook. I, I do have a, a Facebook musician page, uh, Jason Goebel Musicians page. Uh, and I do have my regular Facebook page. And that's where I post everything. That's where I've, I've met most people on my journey uh, here. And I've tried to post my journey on a personal level and on the music side um, just to share because I've been so fortunate to be able to travel and to do this. So, um, yeah, so if there's any any interest or in following me, of course, friend request me. I, I accept, you know, I accept all friend requests, especially from fellow musicians and, and music lovers. And, um, and yeah, I mean, feel free. Any, I'm always open. I always respond to messages. I, I'm not, you know, as we spoke before, too, I think that your fan base is what makes you as a musician. Definitely. So you have to be there and be available. So, um, so yeah, friend request me. Send me a message. If you have any questions, I'm always open um, to fellow musicians and projects. And, you know, we'll just see see what uh what happens but but i'm there i'm on social media and and very easy to find awesome, very easy awesome. to find all right thank you very much for your time jason it's been a pleasure uh wish you all the best with not only our journey but also the future thank you so much thank you for um thank you for having me on the podcast and for giving me the opportunity like i said i'm just amazed that we're even doing this after so many years in reference to cynic um if i could give a, a shout out to vishal yeah. for uh for sending us uh putting us together and connecting course, us for this right? interview amazing musician and um uh, mog symphony and and just just absolutely uh grateful to him he's a wonderful guy and yeah. um and yeah thank you personally and it was a great time talking with you and we'll uh i'm sure talk again in the future Definitely, and right? go from right. there wow man that was quite a chat Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, especially in the end, it's so nice to kind of hear that, you know, after all these years, Jason has got the whole inspiration to do music again. So I'm definitely going to stay in touch and we're going to keep a lookout. Uh, thanks, you know, for sharing all that information with us, Jason. We're going to stay tuned to what you're up to next. Yeah. And you know what? I know on the chat, we didn't really have a chance to play any music. So let's do this one slightly differently. Yeah. Let's end this episode with a cynic song that we've actually asked Jason now via email uh, on which song he would like to end the podcast with. Yeah. And he said, how could I? So let's cue that one up. All right. You know how to reach us. We are at Haunts Up Pod. I'm at Asmo Annie. And I'm Trent Crusher. And this is Cynic's How Could I? <laughs> 